0: You're listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor Stephanie. Wayne Schwartz was diagnosed with FAP, a genetic bowel condition. He chats to us on this episode about his diagnosis, the importance of prioritizing your physical and mental health as well as the value of great communication. your medical team wayne i'm so delighted you could join me on the bottom line podcast today our paths have crossed a few times over the years both at the afl and more recently when you kindly offered to help us raise awareness for bowel cancer so thank you and welcome Uh,
1: my pleasure thanks for having me on your podcast
0: you are so passionate about good health both mental and physical you have publicly spoken at length about your diagnosis with depression. You're the founder of Pucker Up, which focuses on mental health and emotional well-being. So before we delve into the topic of bowels, <laughs> I wanted to chat to you about Pucker Up. Can you just give us a little snapshot of what Pucker Up is all about?
1: Yeah, thank you. Pucker Up is a social enterprise addressing a societal issue, but through a business lens. And what's the issue? The issue that we're tackling is suicide, and specifically we're committed and we created the organisation to end suicide because we passionately believe it's preventable. We don't believe that anybody needs to get sick before they start to think about their well-being. And unfortunately, not a criticism, this is an observation, the way the sector's set up, the sector intervenes once people are sick. And we think that the way that the the model for this is it's not leading to a different outcome. And what I mean by that is we've got more people who are not coping, more people who are unwell, more people who are in crisis. And sadly, we have a system, certainly in Victoria, which is fundamentally broken and systematically flawed. Again, that's not a criticism. So with that context, what we've done deliberately, Steph, is – We have deliberately chosen not to be in that crisis space because we think that there is so much noise there and whilst we acknowledge and support that we need to have services to support people who are unwell and some of those people are really unwell, if we don't do something fundamentally different, how can we expect a different outcome? So what we've chosen to do is we've positioned ourselves upstream. And what that means is we've got a partnership with Melbourne University and the Centre for Wellbeing Science and a technology partner, which is called Frankie Health. And our whole aim is to use science-backed, evidence-based education to increase mental health literacy, to raise awareness, to help people develop skill sets that allows them to proactively and confidently have the capacity to look after their mental health and emotional well-being, which if we believe we can be successful, then we think that we can equip people with the tools to stay healthy in the first place. If we can equip more people to stay healthy, we prevent people from getting sick, which means an outcome of that is we prevent people from tragically ending their life. And that's that's a very ambitious goal of ours, but we're committed to it. It's been our guiding North Star ever since we created the organisation, and we're unapologetic about it because, quite simply, Steph, we don't think people need to get to that stage before they start to think about what they can do with regards to their mental health.
0: Yes. It's it's prevention, which, you know, we'll talk about bowel cancer shortly, and, and that's a very similar situation. It's about giving people the tools, isn't it? Correct. Before they get to that pointy end.
1: Yeah, very much so, and, and look, I've worked in the mental health space for 16-odd years now, and one of the things that I consistently see is we under, human beings understand the important role of physical health, and, and it, it, is, it is universally accepted that uh, we all have physical health and we're supported and encouraged without being judged or criticised to invest into our physical health in whatever way we choose and we think is appropriate, and that's normal. And I also see the same application with people, adults who own vehicles. We apply similar strategies to the health of our cars like we do our physical health for similar reasons. But there's a significant disconnect. And conservatively, I would suggest somewhere between 70 and 80% of the same audiences that I've engaged with over that time who are looking after their physical health like the health of their cars haven't translated that over to their mental health. So the work that we're committed to do, committed to, is helping people understand that if it makes sense to look after your physical health, it makes perfect sense to us to complement that by looking after our mental health. And if we think about the vehicle as the analogy, our physical health is the body. It gets us from point A to point B, but our motor is our brain. Hmm. So if we tune our motor, actually tune our motor when the mechanic has the car, then we fundamentally believe it's just as important to tune our brain to make sure that that's coping, working optimally, and we've also got an ability to identify things um, much sooner before they become problematic.
0: Is there stigma around that?
1: Oh, yes, sadly and, and unfairly there is. It still exists. I would describe stigma in a couple of different ways. It is discrimination, um, which is totally unacceptable because a fundamental right, for any human being, is the best available treatment without fear or failure. There is so much failure with regards to people that need professional support, and there is an overwhelming sense of fear that individuals have who live with these conditions because what will people think, say, or do if they know And I think from a personal perspective, I'm an avid reader and I really enjoy it and I'm I'm enjoying a number of books on the topic of shame because it's something that a lot of us, if not all of us, experience at some point in our lifetime. Mm. And shame kept me silent for 12 years. So through a 12-year period of my life, there were only four people that knew and the only person who was connected to me uh, who wasn't a professional, so three people knew because they were professionals, the only other person that knew of my, my experience was my ex-wife. So I didn't tell my parents, family, friends, colleagues, teammates. I didn't tell anybody. And I can't get that time of my life back, but I can acknowledge now that shame kept me silent. And one of the things that I've chosen to do is I, I, I don't carry shame now because I've lived with these conditions. I feel proud of the fact that I've managed my way back to good health. It's a part of my life, but it it actually doesn't define me. Mm. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I'm always willing to add my voice to important topics such as mental health, but also the impact of, and the importance of bowel, bowel
0: health. That's a lovely segue, because I think with bowel cancer, there is stigma as well. And that is what we're trying to do and talking to you today to help normalize bowel cancer. Have you got any tips for people who are going through, you know, something with like bowel cancer? What's your advice around that stigma?
1: Well, I think if you, I'd go back a step before that. Um, I, I, I was very fortunate. I haven't had to deal with cancer per se, but had I not had a colonoscopy which I'm happy to talk about, which then led to genetic testing, which then led to a subtotal colectomy. And and in that colectomy, there were 348 polyps and two were high-grade plastemic. That's the stage before cancer. I was blissfully unaware. So what I do encourage people and what I want to encourage people to do is the government, in their wisdom at the age of 50, send you a nice little birthday present and it's a screening test. Now, what I've learned through my own journey is that there's a 90% success rate if we get it
0: early. 99 now. (laughs) That's
1: even better. Exactly. I mean, that's remarkable. So for the sake of a simple screening test, which can be a little bit uncomfortable, we're talking about our bowel movements, those type of things, for the sake of, let's say, 15 minutes of your life. If that fifteen minutes meant that you went through the screening test and it identified that there was blood in your stools, which led to uh, an early intervention that could prolong your life, um, give you an opportunity of enjoying all of the things that you would want to do for the rest of your life, why wouldn't you do that? That's number one. And what I've what I've also found really interesting through my own experience, Steph, is if you had to talk to me about bowel movements and stools prior to what I the journey that I've been on for the last four and a half years I I, I realistically I ignorantly thought it was an old person's um, illness
0: and that's a quite a common um
1: a perception yeah which is really ignorant on my behalf because I was 49 got the screening test at my 50th birthday did the screening tests after a week of putting it away in a drawer, which a lot of people do.
0: One week is not bad. Some people put it away and it expires after two years. <laughs>
1: and some people throw it out. So I put it away for a week, eventually chose to do the test because my health is important to me. I want to have a long life and a healthy one. Uh, did the test, sent it away, didn't think anything of it. And then a month later, much to my surprise and somewhat shocked, I got a letter back from the screening agency to say that they'd found a positive result in my stools and that I need to go and see my GP. Had I not done that, I was fit and healthy at the time. And I ignorantly had no idea that there was something internally, which could have been somewhat problematic. And and the thing that I'm talking about is I have um, FAP, which is a mutated gene. It results in this disproportionately large number of polyps forming in my body, It led to a colonoscopy in March of 2019, 20 polyps removed. Most people had between one and five in their lifetime. Second colonoscopy in September of that year, a further 40 polyps removed. My colonoscopy specialist, who's a wonderful man, still supports me today.
0: Isn't he divine?
1: (laughs) Uh, He's he's a wonderful man. (laughs) Yes. Uh, a, A wonderful, generous, caring person. He said to me at the time, something's not right. We need to understand this genetic testing led to a positive gene which is a mutated gene and that led to the subtotal colectomy so i have about a third of my bowel that's been removed and it now means that every year i have a colonoscopy gastroscopy i have an mri and i have a thyroid ultrasound and these are it's all part of the surveillance strategy now and i guess a long-winded a long-winded answer steph but what i would say to anybody just do the bloody test. Yes. Do the test. Save yourself some a, a much bigger challenge, which could be potentially life-threatening, by investing 15 minutes of your time, send it off, and what's the worst thing that can happen? It comes back negative. Well, great, get on with living your life. But if there's something in there, a 99% success rate of getting it early, then that's a great outcome. And the other thing I'd say before I stop talking I was the youngest person on the ward when I had my subtotal colectomy by 15 to 20 years. And what I found really sad was that most people that were in there had a second or third underlying health issue.
0: Yes.
1: So the test can eliminate a lot of those stresses and uncertainty for us. And I personally cannot reinforce the value and importance of the screening test. It potentially saved me at that time and over the last four years of having to deal with something a lot more sinister
0: such powerful words Wayne I think so often we do we get busy life gets in the way you said that earlier when we came on life can get in the way but it the screening test is so important but also to take a step back I think it's really important for symptoms you didn't have symptoms no but I was 42 when I was diagnosed and I had clear symptoms I had blood in my poo and I put it off I just thought oh it is an old man's disease so what is your advice to people who really do put it off
1: well you're rolling the dice really um I, look, I can't tell anyone what to do, Steph, but i I, I love life. I, I want to live a long, healthy life. How do I achieve that? I achieve that by prioritising my health. I pay attention. I don't always get it right. But I don't ignore anything. I'm not i'm fifty, i'm fifty four later this year. I'm not what you'd call old school, and by that, I don't ignore things, I don't put things off. Hmm.
0: Because men in particular can, and we see that with bowel cancer there's a higher uh, percentage of men who are diagnosed
1: yeah and i think unfortunately this is part of the conditioning and a legacy from previous generations tuck it tough it up suck it up she'll be right well okay if you live on your own you don't have any close relationships and you don't have people that you care about knock yourself out if that's the choice that you want but if you've got family you've got friends you've got a life that you still want to achieve things and do things then it's not only important to me as an individual, but it's all my health is also important to every other person that's important to me. So um, I, I want to prioritize my health physically, mentally, and emotionally because it's important to me, but also want to be in the lives of all of those people that I've mentioned. And unfortunately, uh, the fact that I have FAP means that there's a 50% chance that. Um, any or all of my children will in also will also have inherited the gene. Now, as a dad, that's challenging because if that happens to any of my kids, I I will I need to work through a sense of guilt, even though I've not consciously or deliberately chosen for any of my children to do that. But to balance that, I want to also show my children that I'm not ignoring the importance of the journey that I'm on because if any one of them have to go through what I've gone through they know that I've walked this journey myself so I can sit there and support them and walk that journey together so it's a really important opportunity for me to model the behavior that I think is is really important and and anything and I'm really really lucky that I have John in in my support network um, he, he he is he's such a compassionate, caring, gentle, nurturing person. And one of the things that I've I've learned, and, and this is this is recent, we, we've moved in a state, as I said before, we started this conversation, Steph, been really stressful. And I started to get soreness in my lymph nodes under my armpits over the last couple of weeks. Now immediately I start to go, okay, what are the symptoms here? I've got a mutated gene. I, 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 so I'm learning all the time. Most of the potential cancerous issues will be in the large or small intestine, intestines. The desmoid tumors are growths. They're non-cancerous. So I'm starting to eliminate what I think it could be. And, and the pain didn't go away for a couple of weeks. So I rang John, got some bloods done, had an, MRI, had an ultrasound done earlier this week. And I'm thinking, okay, is this potential cancer in the lymph nodes? There was no swelling. But until the results come back, you don't know. Mm. We eliminated any nasty surprises through the bloods and the ultrasound. And where we eventually arrived was was that it was stress-related. But any of those cues, any of those signs, I'm onto it straight away because I want to make sure if I'm sensing anything, and I trust my intuition, this doesn't feel right, What's the worst thing I could do? I could take 15 minutes out of my special life and say, what's going on, what do we need to do? And as soon as he tells me what to do, my job is to do that and I do it very quickly.
0: Empowering yourself. We hear this often from our experts or people we speak to and patients who have been through bowel cancer or any disease, empower yourself. Because I think too often we don't trust our own gut. You know, if I trusted my gut, I knew something was wrong. I knew that the GP had said it was hemorrhoids. I knew it wasn't hemorrhoids, but I didn't act upon that. Luckily for me, I caught it in time. I think that's a very important factor. How important is it to have a great relationship and great communication with your healthcare team?
1: Well, I I feel it's fundamentally important to everything that happens from a health perspective. I feel very fortunate, you know, I I could sit here all day and talk about the importance and appreciation I have for John, but what led to the introduction to John is um, I've been very lucky for the past 36 years to have the same GP. His name's Dr. Harry Unglick. Uh, He is the man that uh, held my hand through a really difficult period of my life, And, and this man, I hold him in... The same regard. I I I love him as much as I love my dad. And ironically, I sent both Harry and my dad a message yesterday, quite simply, to tell them both that I love them. And I feel very fortunate that I've got uh, somebody like Harry in my life for such a long period of time. So when when the screening test came back and said that it was negative, we go, okay, what's the plan? I trust Harry with my life. He goes, there's two people that I think could potentially be. the the right choice, we both went and interviewed both of them. So we went and interviewed John and we went and interviewed another person. John was much younger. The other person was much older. And these interviews were really important. And why I say that is when I was going through, you know, the 12-year struggle with mental health conditions, I I was lucky enough six years after being diagnosed to be introduced to a lady in Sydney when I was playing football up there. and she. this this woman who was a psychologist um, had uh, such a profound impact on my life because whether I was the first, the middle patient or the last patient in her day, every time I walked into this woman's office, she made me feel like I was the most important person in her day.
0: Mm. That
1: gave me confidence And what it allowed me to understand, and I talk about this often, it's really important from a health professional perspective, you find the right professional that you marry up to from a relationship perspective. So the first thing I want to establish when I'm looking at a professional to support me from a health perspective, can I connect with them at a a relationship level? I don't want to just be a patient. I don't want to be a patient number. I'm a person who's got a story. And that was, that was one of the most important things that I walked away. It was an obvious choice for me that John was the right person for me in my support network because we connected. Mm-hmm. We speak regularly. I noticed anything in my stools with the, the pain in the armpits. I'm, I'm, I'm contacting him going, this is what's happened. What do we need to do? Right, bang, do this, do that, do that, and away I go. So I feel very fortunate that I've got, people in my life, and and I do reflect on that. You know, every time I go in for a colonoscopy and a gastroscopy, you know, we we, we chat, come in, we do what we do. But I just, I, I look at John and I go, geez, I'm lucky. I'm so lucky. I've got this person in my life that he's as invested into my health as I am into my own health, and that, that's reassuring, especially. When you have moments where there's doubt and there's uncertainty and and you're thinking about your own mortality that can be a frightening sort of space to be
0: in. Absolutely and I think that connection is so important and obviously I've spoken with um John and he really is such a wonderful human.
1: Yes he is.
0: In in terms of that you talk about that fear and when you're monitoring your health how did you feel the other day when you you know, you could be potentially, you know, there might be something wrong. How do you navigate that?
1: That's a really good slash challenging question because um, I don't cope well with uncertainty. I like to know what's going on. So,
0: And I don't think you're alone in that.
1: No, no. When, when, you, when you think about life and mortality, it's a really sobering headspace to be in. I mean, I, selfishly, I, I want to live a long, healthy life. I've got a lot of things that I want to do, but death in one respect uh, scares me because I don't want to die. Um, but but, that, but that, that's, that's the reality of the human experience. At some point, we will come to the end. And selfishly, I want to make sure that's a long way down the path um, how do I deal with it? Um, the last few days, prior to getting the results back, one day in particular, I really struggled with it. I, I went quite internal, and, and unfortunately, my partner had to try and sort of manage and encourage me out of that, uh, which is not always easy on partners, on families. But but I, I talk. I talk all the time. I talk to my partner. I'll talk to my dad. I'll talk to my I'll talk to Harry. I'll talk to John. I'll go and talk to whoever I need to talk to in order to try and manage whatever it is that I'm dealing with and experiencing at any point in time because I've done the opposite. I've sat in a space for 12 years where I didn't talk to anybody and I absolutely understand the difficulty and sometimes devastation that that thought process can have on somebody's overall health. I I just choose not to do that anymore.
0: I know for myself when I was faced with a bowel cancer diagnosis, you know, and I had a young child, a two and a half year old. It was a real pivot point for me. And at that time I was working in media, which um as we know can be a cutthroat business. <laughs> Very <laughs> and I feel sometimes that whole multidisciplinary team, sometimes the mental aspect is forgotten because it's such a key component of when you're diagnosed with not just bowel cancer or cancer, any disease.
1: Yeah, look, I couldn't agree anymore. I I think that there's there's definitely a um, component of the impact emotionally and mentally. But one of the things that I really love and admire about John is he looks at health holistically, but he also expands that to include the person Um, and, And one of the other really important benefits is the relationship that John has with Harry. They're both on the same page. Yes. One of the challenges is if you have different health professionals as part of your support network, if they're not on the same page, if they're not in constant communication and in agreement within their respective areas of expertise, then that becomes problematic. That has the potential of impacting your overall experience and journey. So again, I feel very fortunate that I've got people professionally who are on the same page, who have the same goal in mind, and that is to give me the best quality of life and I've got a great life. But I also have um, a very good cycling friend of mine who went through something very similar. And I'm someone who I will talk to people, I will seek people out, provided they've got a similar experience. What is the point of me talking to somebody who's never gone through FAP or bowel cancer or understands colonoscopies or gastroscopies? That's like going and asking a school teacher how I play AFL football. Correct. It's a different skill set. So I've got a very good friend of mine and and sometimes it would be quite funny listening to our conversations (laughs) when we're talking about bowel movement and stools. But we do that and we've done that fairly regularly. And that's also been comforting Mm. But talk to somebody who knows what it's like. They understand the experience because you just it removes all the barriers and you've got this commonality with regards to, well, we, we've been through this, we're still going through it, and let's talk about it. And that's that's reassuring to be able to have that.
0: Absolutely. We have a resource at Bowel Cancer Australia. It's the Peer-to-Peer Network, and that is a highly sought-after service and I've spoken to many people, particularly around an ileostomy bag and reversals, because you know nurses can talk about it, health professionals can talk about it, but if you haven't gone through it, they don't actually know what happens. And I think that's really important. And that holistic care, patient-centric care and a multidisciplinary team is imperative in moving forward. When 10 years ago, I didn't have that. Everything was done in a silo. I had to ask for a psychologist, which helped me through, and hopefully that will change, but I think that is such an important factor. Before we finish, I just want to touch on the hereditary aspect. So what is the procedure for your children?
1: Yeah, so um, all three of our children will need to have genetic testing, the girls sooner. FAP is, or FAP, is it normally onset between the ages of 18 to 21.
0: Yes, you were quite unique in that situation. You didn't discover it till you were older.
1: I don't know what it is about me, Steph. <laughs> but it, it's you're that, a unique it, it, being. Well, I'm in the top 2% globally who have got this gene, <laughs> so that's the way I look at it. But there's, there's no uh, history of that within any of my parents and, and, and their family history. The gene, I was obviously born with it, um, and it sat idle until the age of 49 when it decided to wake up and do what it needed to do. So, you know, my twin daughters are 19 now. Um, we've already had some conversations. They have been on this journey as children watching their dad go through their things. So mm. my kids know when I'm having colonoscopies and gastroscopies, they knew when I had the subtotal colectomy. I talk to them about you know, when I've got MRIs and thyroid uh, ultrasounds and those type of things. One of our daughters had blood in her stools 12 months ago. Um, that scared oh. the living daylights out of me. But oh, thankfully, absolutely. she talked to me mm. straight on to John. This is what's happening. She's been in for two colonoscopies. Everything's going really well. But the girls will need to have a genetic test at some point, probably in the next 12 months. But I'm guided by John here. And then our son, who's 16 in a few months, he'll have to have one at some point. And I, I, I do grapple from time to time. Like, I'm an adult. Um, I've got good support and, and I'll deal with this. But it, 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 it does, it's something I grapple with with my kids. So, you know, I, I would really need to spend time working through the guilt that would come with if that diagnosis ever presents itself because they're your kids. <laughs> Yeah. But having said that, though, um, I'm well down the track of what needs to be done, and we'll manage it as best we can.
0: It it is. It's it's confronting. It's confronting. Yeah. As as you say, as the parent and the adult, you work through it. They're resilient. Mm-hmm.
1: They they're very matter of fact and they get on with life. And again, I've I've talked to them about if they were to be diagnosed with the gene, that I'd be guilty about it. And they go, Dad, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. And we'll manage it. So I take comfort in that. Um, and, and, and even though you know this journey is four years on, I'm fit. I, I exercise almost every day. I'm, I'm I'm in really good condition physically and emotionally. I'm loving the work that I do, got a great relationship with all the key people in my life. I'm happy and I'm healthy most of the time. So whilst it's there and I know it's always there, um, the majority of the time I'm able to get on and give life a good go.
0: Which is fantastic. You talked a little bit earlier in the podcast about not letting things define who you are. I think sometimes, and I am absolutely at fault of this, I let cancer define who I was. When I was at Network 10, I was defined by my role as head of marketing and PR. Yeah. What's your advice there?
1: What I can talk to is for 12 years, I was a victim to the negativity of mental health conditions. And what I've learned over the last 26 years is shame wants us to stay silent. It wants us to stay in the shadows. But if we can start to find our voice and the courage to speak about our experience, there's something really fundamental that happens. So what I mean by that is I'm a storyteller. I present all over the country. Next week as part of You U OK? Day and week, I think it's eight or nine presentations all in, in three different states. Wow. And for 12 years, I chose not to talk because I was ashamed of what I what I was living with. I'm not ashamed anymore. I don't carry shame because I've lived with mental health conditions. And the way that I've been able to move through that has been through storytelling. When you When you find your voice and you find the courage supported by key people around you, you can actually free yourself from the victim or the negativity of the experience because you're speaking it. It no longer controls you. You control your story because you're putting words to your story. So two things happen there. One, I'm empowered by what I've done. I'm proud of what I've achieved. I'm far from perfect. But these conditions have played a big part of my life, but they don't define me. And the other important um, thing that happens when we share stories is we're actually giving permission to other people to do the same thing. Everybody's got a story, whether it's cancer, mental health, any other uh, trauma, um, any other disease, everybody's got a story. And we should be able to create environments that allow people to speak openly and honestly about their stories because that's liberating, but it also gives hope to so many other people that haven't yet got to that place.
0: You've given me a little sense of purpose because I think ultimately that's why I do what I do with Bowel Cancer Australia. It's um telling my story to hopefully help others, which is a lovely way to end. Before we do, I ask the people that I interview if they can give me three top things or takeaways they'd like the listeners to take from today's podcast.
1: Don't ignore your health, number one, whatever it is. Number two. Do the screening test when you receive it or go and get it. It's not an old person's disease. It can happen to anybody. And three, share your story. It's your story. We're experts in our own lives. And I think when we do that, we can become the owners of our narrative moving forward and never underestimate when you share a story, the positive impact that that may have on another person. It can be life-changing or life-saving. And that's a really valuable thing to be able to do for other people and ourselves.
0: Well, on that note, Wayne, thank you for sharing your story today with us. I love the work you're doing around mental and emotional wellbeing, and your passion in chatting and telling your stories. You really are a true inspiration and a wonderful ambassador for tackling the difficult moments in life. Wayne, it's been a delight and an honor to speak with you, and thank you.
1: My pleasure, thanks for having me on the show and uh, keep sharing your story, Steph, because it's important.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.